What's up, y'all? This is Jeff Durbin with Apologia Radio at ApologiaRadio.com. Want to talk to you guys about an amazing connection that we have right now with Whitfield Theological Seminary. I want you to run over to Whitfield.edu, Whitfield.edu, W-H-I-T-E-F-I-E-L-D.edu. I want you to check out the programs they have. They have undergraduate programs at Whitfield College, and they also have Whitfield Theological Seminary for the graduate degree and above and beyond. I, I think you'll really be impressed with the rigorous nature of the classes, the consistent biblical worldview taught and adhered to. I want you to contact Whitfield Theological Seminary at whitfield.edu. Get a hold of our friend, Dr. Kenneth Talbot, and start your classes today. ApologiaRadio.com. Non-rock-a-boatus must stop. I don't want to rock the boat. I want to sink it. Are you going to bark all day, little doggy, or are you going to bite? Brett, delusional is okay in your worldview. I'm an animal. You don't chastise chickens for being delusional. You don't chastise pigs for being delusional. So you calling me delusional using your worldview is perfectly okay. It doesn't really hurt. <laughs> she hung up on me. What? What? Desperate times call for faithful men and not for careful men. The careful men come later and write the biographies of the faithful men, lauding them for their courage. Go into all the world and make disciples. Not go into the world and make buddies. Not to make brosives. Right. Don't go into the world and make homies. Right. Disciples. Well, I, yeah. got, I got a bit of a jiggle neck. <laughs> That's a joke, Pastor. When we have the real message of truth, we cannot let somebody say they're speaking truth when they're not. Take an amazing journey to a place that will blow your mind and move your heart so you will never be the same again. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. What's up, y'all? Another episode of Apologia Radio, another week, new studio. <laughs> That's Marcus Pittman over there. I'm still believing. He's still believing. King Ginger. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of a name. King Ginger. What, Ginger Vitus? Let's not go with that one. Okay, Ginger okay. Vitus. <laughs> That's the bear over there. What's up, bear? Who wants a beard? Well, beatniks for one. Folk singers and motorbike riders. You know. All those hip, jazzy, super cool, neat, keen, and groovy cats. Apology it's in the fridge, Daddy-O. Right. Are you hep to the job? Can you dig what I'm laying down? I knew that you could slide me some skin, so, brother. All right, that's the bear. He's big. He's furry. Yes. So kind of bearish. Yes. I'd also like to say... Hey, everyone! Come and see how good I look! <laughs> and that's... Uh, Justice right there. What's up, Justice? In for another week because uh, he's building Apologia Studios with us. What's up, Justice? Not Th much. Otherwise known as Thor. Thor. Lots of other names. The Huntsman. Hippie, <laughs> Hippie Jesus. Hippie Jesus. Hippie Jesus. 
Did you know my name Dustin actually means comes from the root word for Thor? Are you serious? Yeah. No, it doesn't. Google it. Katie. Google it. Yeah, Google it. Google that. Great googly moogly. Yeah, Katie was, uh, when we were dating, she texted me that, and I said, nah, uh no way. And so she sends me, like, the screenshot of it, and it's uh, Torsten. The the German huh. root for my name, Dustin, comes from Torsten, which is Thor. Is your dad's name Odin? No. It's actually Dan. Nelson, so it's Dan Nelson. No, it's Dan. It's Dan. <laughs> Daniel. All right, guys. Daniel, son. So here we go, guys. Another week of Apologia Radio. You guys can get us at ApologiaRadio.com. If you don't have the app yet, you got to get the appy. It's on Google Play, Apologia Church. Get all the past sermons, lectures, stuff on other radio programs I've been on, other conferences. Luke's study of the doctrines of grace is up there. You got to get that. It's really good. It's a big blessing. Apologia Radio episodes are all there. There's a whole tab just for Apologia Radio. You can get all the past episodes on all kinds of different topics, ranging from eschatology to justification by faith to atheism, apologetics. Um, where do we get our Bibles from? We've had some of the top scholars and theologians and scientists on the show, Dr. James White. We've had guys like even Dr. Michael Brown on the show. We've had Gary DeMar, Joel McDermott. We've had, um, oh, also, uh, Redemption Radio episodes are also up on the app. That's a program I did for about two or three years, and it's fantastic. Do we, you don't want to miss those. I think really helpful content. So get the app, guys. Share with your friends and family. Um, new studio. Let's talk about how it's going. You guys get an update. What's up, guys? What's what's happening in here? What's happening? Well, we put <laughs> well. sound foam a lot of in a lot of places. Yes, yes. And we've dropped curtains and stuff to make it sound like a normal studio and not an empty warehouse. <laughs> and that's in the set, not in here. Yeah. Uh, but it sounds really amazing. Yeah. And then Luke is building the most amazing desk for our television show yes. for the Apologia TV mm -hmm. show. Yes. And it looks amazing. Yes. I can't wait to see it. And he's, then he's good at what he does. My office is almost done. <laughs> almost. <laughs> almost. Almost done. Almost. And I can't almost, wait because it'll be really nice to actually have a place to work. Yeah. That's not in the yes, kitchen. All right. And uh, I don't know, Luke, Luke, how are things going in the studio? Tell listeners uh, what, what's happening. Uh, we have a green screen. That sums it up pretty good. That sums it up. Yeah. That's about what's going on in your head right yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. Did a lot of hard work. Yeah. I'm covered in sawdust right now. Yeah. yeah. Can I just say right that? Inside and out. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I just got really excited. Yes, please. Can <laughs> <laughs> I just want to let people know that they have no idea what's about to happen. Right. Like, we haven't really right. discussed it. Right. But the plans are really big, and that people that are listening should be very, very, very excited because I am. I have to interrupt people. Glory. Um, that's how excited I am. Glory. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And uh, so we're, we are nearing uh, the completion of the studio. We are going to finish up the set that's actually in the warehouse portion of our space. Uh, our writer's room stuff is, is basically done. Little touch-ups here and there. But you guys just anticipate, expect some really, really cool stuff, content coming your way very, very soon. Uh, the big investment right now is just in build-out, getting this whole place ready to go. So uh, we appreciate your love and support and prayers. We need them. Uh, you guys can continue to support our ministry 
and what we're doing to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth by going to apologiaradio.com. Uh, some of you guys know that about two years ago, we actually started doing ministry at abortion clinics. Uh, it was new for us, and um, it was not something that I think we necessarily anticipated um, on our radar. Uh, we had never done it before, and it was when we did an episode uh, with a woman by the name of Lisa Metzger, and she told us that she had been doing this for, for many, many years, but she told us she had saved somewhere around 360-some-odd babies. We thought that it was the entire time that she was, um, yeah, there you go, the entire time that she was uh, doing this for many years, uh, ministry to abortion clinics. Turns out uh, the 300 some odd babies she had saved was from the previous year. And so um, it kicked us into gear. We started going to the abortion clinics. Right now over 40 babies saved from death as a result of Apologia Church's ministry to abortion clinics locally. And uh, you should know this, as a result of um, us going to the abortion clinics and talking about it on Apologia Radio, putting up sermons and all the rest on our YouTube uh, channel. I know of, I mean, maybe it's close, nearing about 30 ministries uh, started around, around the country uh, from listeners of, of our show. And um, I just learned about three new ones this past week that have started going to abortion clinics as a result of this radio program. So if, if you have participated, I want to tell you this, if you've participated in the past, um, in financial giving to this ministry, that's 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 a huge part of of your participation. When these ministries have started because of this show, this show wouldn't exist without your support. So I just want to encourage you guys with that. If you've prayed for us, participated with us, shared episodes, given financially, you're you're a part of this work. You're a co-laborer with us, and we're we're really really grateful for it. But I was able to connect with a brother named Sean uh, this week, who was giving me a story about his. Um, involvement uh, in abortion mill ministry and so we wanted to get him on the show and and how cool is this he's actually the first guest yeah. interviewed from apologia studios and uh, he's on right now sean what's up brother hey how's it going i'm honored to be here all right <laughs> you're on applause there you probably didn't hear no. that uh sean uh why don't you tell us uh about yourself tell us about how you heard about apologia radio and how it's impacted you and then we'll get into the discussion on abortion mill ministry well, actually, uh, I started reading Bonson's Victory in Jesus. Woo! And, um, That's post-mail, baby. That is post-mail. Yeah, definitely. And so I, uh, I mean, I kind of dabbled in some post-mail. I, I couldn't really decide uh, where I stood. But once I affirmed uh, a post-mail position, I literally just went onto my iPhone and just searched post-mail, and uh, your podcast came up. And so I started listening to it. I'd never heard of it before, so... Right on. That's awesome. Praise God. Praise God. All right, so how has the ministry of Apologia Church and this radio program impacted you in your walk with Christ? Well, actually, I kind of blitzed through a lot of these episodes. I've, I've probably listened to the majority of them, um, and it's just impacted me in so many ways. I've, I've actually recently returned from a deployment to Afghanistan, mm. and... Um, the whole time I was out there, I just really uh, started to uh, distance myself from a lot of the my church I was going to, a lot of members there, and really started distancing uh, myself from the Lord. I kind of stopped reading my Bible while I was out there. And so 
once I started reading Victory in Jesus, I started reading my Bible again, I started listening to the podcast, it's just uh, awoken a new fire to just get back out, um, particularly to the abortion clinics okay. and continue the ministry. Well, so you start going to abortion clinics. Why? What, 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 what got you in a place where you felt like you needed to do this and you felt confident enough to do it? What, what was it that kicked you into gear and kicked you over the line? Well, it was actually a parachurch ministry uh, called Abolish Human Abortion that I was exposed to. I hadn't really gotten into any... Uh, abortion ministry I hadn't really heard of any of these groups and I kind of got exposed to them first and it all kind of happened quick uh, got in contact with uh, some of the guys there and asked me if I wanted to start an abolitionist society I had no idea what I was doing I just I knew that I had been apathetic towards abortion uh, prior to to the ministry and and I decided well this is I need to get into this ministry I, these I was shocked at the number of deaths that occur at these abortion mills. And so kind of went headlong into the ministry, started not just the abortion clinic ministry, but um, started speaking about abortion on college campuses and at high school, uh, at high schools around the area. So Okay. So you start going to abortion clinics. You're now proclaiming the gospel in this context of the issue of abortion. What what's happened to you recently? Tell us your story. What's what's gone on? I think what was encouraging to me and and you and I having a discussion over the phone um, was was just your testimony about reconnecting with the church and your local church involvement now with you alongside you um, at the clinics. So talk talk about that. Tell us that that part of the story. Yeah, so um, when I first got involved with this uh, abolitionist movement, I was really um, on fire, I was really excited, and I was I, I started to get upset because I would talk to people at my church, I'd talk to the elders, and they just they didn't share that same zeal that I had, um, and it started to get frustrating. Um, I was impatient uh, and started to view um, even my own church as apathetic. And so I kind of just went out on my own. But just recently, uh, especially after reading a lot of this uh, post-millennial stuff, I've come to realize that it's vitally important that if we want to see the abolition of, of abortion, it has to be through the local church. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the way... God designed it, and He has uh, given His visible church. He's equipped the visible church um, with effectual means to end something like this, and it's the only way I can see that it's going to happen. Yeah. Not through uh, a side ministry that's outside of the authority of the church. Okay, I think it's important. That's an important discussion to have, and um, you know, I, I admire, uh, I greatly admire the zeal and the passion for the gospel from many in the AHA movement. But I think what was encouraging to me was to see uh, or hear, at least hear about someone like yourself who's involved in this ministry and now reconnects with your church in the context of this ministry, seeing that um, you know, if repentance is going to come, it's going to come from within the church. 
uh, right? Yeah. He's going to con- convincing yeah. the body of Christ from within that we can do this, showing them we can do this as part of the body. All right, so now you, you had told me that, that you were able to get one of the deacons of your church to go out with you. Uh, talk, describe that experience. Yeah, so right before I left Afghanistan, he went out with me, and we went out on a Saturday morning really early, and he had no idea what to expect. We both just went out there. It was just the two of us, and um, it took a little while, and then sure enough, he was out there pleading uh, with these mothers that were going into the clinic, and there was just a visible change in him, and just a, pat- and a, a passion that awoken in him while we were out there. Um, and I didn't really follow up too much with him until I got back. But when I got back, I found out that he had gone back to the church and told the other deacons and elders about the ministry. And it, he had spoken to them and talked about wanting to support the ministry that I was doing out there, mm. uh, not just with more people going out with me, but financially as well. Okay. Praise God. Praise God. So, so now your local church is involved with you. Um, now this has become a ministry of your local church. So how has um, connecting with the local church um, blessed now your outreach and this ministry? How was how the local church's connection helping? Um, well, it's actually really recently that um, it's just this week that we are talking about the budget. And so the financial aspect hasn't really kicked in yet, but just the support that I'm receiving now that I didn't have from other brothers at my church that are now willing to go out there with me is just huge encouragement. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I, the, my old way of thinking would have written them off as apathetic before I I didn't have a, a patience my brothers, but now um, just little by little, more and more guys from my church are expressing an interest to go out there with me. Um, so I know that it's going to transform them the same way it transformed uh, my buddy who was a deacon. So Awesome. And and the great thing I think that we all need to sort of herald and, and be excited about is now your local church is a part of this. They can pray with you. They can put needs before the church. And uh, they're offering to even financially invest in this ministry. So if you need signs, if you need other things, your church is behind you now. And uh, and they're, they're ready to go into this battle with you. Absolutely. Yeah. Does it, does it, does it strengthen you? Oh, yes, absolutely. I, I feel, I mean, before I was just extremely discouraged. Um, I didn't even really see a light at the end of the tunnel for this. Um, it was, it was really not until I came to a post-millennial perspective where there's actually, there can be victory or there will be victory out there at the abortion clinic and it it will be through the local church. Glory. Mm -hmm. Amen. That's right. That's right. Well, Sean, you've been a blessing to us, man. Thank you so very much for sharing your testimony, man. And uh, I'm glad to stay connected with you and just to hear about what God's going to be doing uh, through this ministry at uh, your local clinics. Uh, and, and just having your church alongside you is, is to great encouragement, encouragement to my heart, just being able to hear your story and all that God's doing. And, and I'm just blessed by it, and uh, I'm grateful for you, man. Thank you for... Uh, the labor you're doing uh, in the Lord for these babies and for these these moms and dads, man. Thank you. It was an honor to be on. Right on, man. Well, keep listening, man, and share us with everyone you know, dude. Definitely. All right, brother. God bless you, dude. 
God bless you. All right. So what's up, man? You guys think that's awesome or what? I think it's yeah, awesome. It's totally awesome. It reminds me of John Barros who said he thought he was bold for going out to the abortion clinic before the church was behind him. But when he got St. Andrews behind him, he was just like an animal. Yeah. Like he just didn't care because he just had this authority, this financial backing and the support from his elders that he knew what he was doing was right in the eyes of God. And it just strengthened him and encouraged him. And I think it makes your abortion ministry greater and stronger when you when you have that backing of a church behind right. you. Yeah. And it takes patience. Oh, you can't yeah. change a church overnight. But you just got to be gracious and graceful and just show compassion because not everybody gets it all at once and not everybody will not everybody's called to do it i didn't Mm -hmm. yeah i didn't i I mean i I knew this stuff was happening Mm -hmm. i didn't know what it looked like right and i didn't i didn't know it was successful i didn't i had concept these ideas in my own mind of what it looked like when people go to abortion clinics and I, I thought myself that it's not effective. Like, uh, really? Like, and I, I, it, it was an issue of my own need to repent as a Christian and as a mm. pastor. Um, but, but notice something that change took place from within the body of Christ in my own experience. And our church says, "Oh man, we need to do something." And we went out together and started doing it. Yeah, I think it's also important too. Like uh, John Barrow says, he doesn't want everybody out there. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Some people are not called to that ministry. It's very specific. There's a passion and a and a and a heart that you need to have that not everybody has. And so you only want people going out there that are of the character that the elders have approved of really to begin with and that have the heart and are called to that. Cuz there's a lot of people out there doing abortion ministry that should not be doing abortion ministry mm-hmm. and they're actually harming the work because they, maybe there's area of sanctification mm-hmm. they need like uh, handling somebody yeah. else loving or, somebody else or they're just not called to that ministry yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> lack of now, accountability lack of yeah. accountability now and there's an issue where we all need to feel the same about the issue of abortion yes need to address it the same way it needs to be gospel centered and everything right. else but you're right i mean um some little old ladies aren't called to stand on a box with a microphone calling out to these women necessarily right they're supposed to feel the same about it supposed to support in some way pray financial support whatever but um, but you're right. I mean that that should be uh, the the local elders of your church should be saying, yeah, we right. we we approve this. We see it in your life, and we're we're behind you. Right. Yeah. So, some are called to the choir, others are called to help in the kitchen. Right. But if you sing off key, you don't really want to be in the choir. You don't want me in the choir. I'll tell <laughs> you what, either. right now, man. Some of y'all heard me trying to sing yeah. Madashahu last week, and it was like treacherous. <laughs> that that being said, speak to this though. Just because you may not be called to go to the abortion mill, that does ne- does not negate indifference. No, that's true. But I think just because you're not going out there, it doesn't mean you're being indifferent. Right. You can pray. Right. But that's what I'm saying yeah. is we should still, even if you're not called that, you should still be contributing somehow. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Did we set off a smoke alarm? <laughs> Maybe we did. All right. So, guys, we'll be right back, guys. <laughs> We're going to go make sure the building's not on fire. Yeah. We'll be right back, guys. ApologiaRadio.com. Hi, this is Warner with Apologia Radio. I want to ask for y'all good friends of ours to go on and click that button there and become my friends on the book face. Facebook backslash Apologia Radio. Become my friend on YouTube, that there twerker. 
the twerker. I wanna I wanna talk to you on the twerking. And send me out a twerk. What? Where what? Twitter. Apologia Radio on Twitter. I also wanna tell you we talk about apologetics and theology and we do a lot of swing dancing and we make a delicious chicken gravy. Apologiaradio.com So that was scary. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Totes. Don't even know how that happened. Yeah. It's dangerous. This, yeah. This place. You're dangerous. Well, it's good to know that the fire department was dispatched within seconds. Seconds. Marcus? Right? Good? Yeah? Thankfully, I think it works pretty good. Yeah? Thankfully, we, we, sh- we shut him down. Thankfully, we had they... Thor here by yeah. us. <laughs> yeah, he administered some justice. That's right. <laughs> right. Welcome back to Apologia Radio. Go to ApologiaRadioGuys.com and pick up an episode. Share it with your friends, family, everyone you know. And um, we're back. So a lot of stuff has happened over the last couple of days. Um, uh, there was a major uh, event that d- occurred in Texas, a Texas shooting um, it was an outgun traffic officer that stopped two attackers. And this is really interesting. Just discovered, actually, today that um, our boy, our good friend, Vocab Malone, pastor of Vocab Malone from um, Roosevelt Community Church, actually knew um, one of the assailants. And uh, let me go ahead and play for you guys a clip from CNN to fill you in on what actually took place uh, in Texas this last weekend. <laughs> There's no doubt that it saved lives. High praise tonight for the traffic cop turned hero, who authorities say used his handgun to stop two gunmen wearing body armor and armed with assault weapons. He did what he was trained to do, um, and under the fire that uh, he was put under, he did a very good job. Police say the men drove up to this community center northeast of Dallas and got out of this black sedan. Both of them had assault rifles, came around the back of the car and started shooting at the police car. The police officer in that car began returning fire and struck both men, taking them down. We think their strategy was to get to the event center, into the event center, and they were not able to get past that outer perimeter that we had set up. The encounter lasted about 15 seconds and ended with both men dead. An unarmed security guard was also shot in the ankle. The shooting happened just as a controversial cartoon drawing contest of the Prophet Muhammad was wrapping up. Some 200 people were at the event. None of them was hurt. And the police came in and uh, put us all into lockdown. And so, of course, this uh, terrible uh, incident reflects the need for such conferences. It's illustrative of the violent assault on the freedom of speech. The Council on American Islamic Relations released a statement condemning the attack, saying in part, we also reiterate our view that violence in response to anti-Islam programs like the one in Garland is more insulting to our faith than any cartoon, however defamatory. Bigoted speech can never be an excuse for violence. 
Meanwhile, authorities in Texas spent the day combing the scene for evidence. No explosives were found inside the vehicle, only luggage. One of the gunmen, identified by a federal law enforcement source as Elton Simpson, tweeted his allegiance to ISIS ahead of the attack. He also linked himself to a known British ISIS fighter. Sources tell CNN authorities believe Simpson shared an apartment in Phoenix, Arizona with a second gunman, Nadir Sufi. So there you go, guys. Uh, very, uh, just crazy. Oh, that's Geico uh, oh, Geico. What's up, Geico? You just snuck your way into an Apology Radio episode. That was <laughs> sneaky. <laughs> sneaky. <laughs> All right. So, um, uh, so anyway, I just discovered that uh, Pastor Vocab Malone uh, knew one of the assailants, and we wanted to uh, utilize our special privileges and pull him in right now through Skype. Uh, Vocab, what's up, brother? Hey, what's going on, guys? Good to talk to you. So, fill our listeners in. Uh, you wrote an article um, about how you knew one of these men. Tell us all about what uh, what took place and your connection. I met him at work. We worked together. One day I saw him reading the Epistle of Barnabas as I left, which is an early non-canonical work by Christians that has some theological problems with it. But interestingly enough, if you know church history, those theological problems are what make it attractive to a lot of Muslims. So it's actually a book a lot of Muslims read. Anyways, I saw him reading it, and I asked him right away, are you a Muslim? And he was, and so we began talking, and we had a three-hour conversation that day and numerous conversations in the parking lot after that. So I got to know his theology really well. Then I ran into him at the mosque that I would witness at quite a few times as well. Okay, so uh, you knew this guy and um, all kinds of speculation about um, his beliefs and everything else, but you, you, you understand the man, you understood his theology. Talk to our listeners about you know, what, what drove this man to do what he did and how theology matters. Well, that was the key I was trying to make in my initial little blog post, is that theological convictions are what drives him. And... He was simply living out his convictions. Um, it's true not his convictions aren't everyone else's, but I, w- I wanted the secular world to try to understand that they have theological convictions in essence too, which drive them. And yeah, his are different, but I mean, I, I'm just I was just trying to really drive the point of how the theology is really what's what's behind it. And so, they they wanted all these solutions like uh you know the secular world tries to posit you know economic issues in the middle east or or jobs or uh being outcast or, or all these kinds of things they try to say how do we fix this problem of you know these young guys shooting up places this and that but they're looking for a non-spiritual solution to a spiritual problem they're looking for a non-gospel solution so they'll always have these secondary measures which will never they're never really going to fix it they're just going to Put band-aids on it and that's what I was trying to get at ultimately well what kind of convictions would someone like uh, the man that you were acquainted with what what kind of convictions did he have what kind of convictions would drive someone like him to do what he did because uh, flip it for one to my mind I was talking to my son today about this um, if you were to have an event an atheist event where they were you know railing on Jesus Christ and the Bible and everything else it, it's not commonplace it would be it would be something people would cause cause people to squint a little bit uh, if somebody came up there as a Christian with a Bible or a team of guys came with Bibles and machine guns and started shooting the place up 
everybody would recognize right away, but that goes against everything you're supposed to stand on and believe in. And so they, they would recognize that. So, but, but was he being consistent with his own beliefs and convictions? Yeah. And Eldon was a nice guy, a smart guy, a calm guy, a learned guy, a chill guy, actually. So it sounds odd, but I don't think it's that he necessarily hated everybody just wanted to kind of, you know, he wasn't an Islamic Rambo. It was a question of greater allegiance and authority. And unfortunately, he had given his ultimate allegiance and authority to a false god who does not exist, an idol, and a false prophet who led him astray. And so that ultimate allegiance and authority led him to have uh, that primary consideration, led him to treat other considerations as secondary. So someone's life needs to be forfeited for a greater cause, which is to preserve Muhammad's honor and to preserve his name. So it's not as if it's just hatred for everybody and he was just out there always plotting. I'm not saying what he did was good or anything like right, that. Right, right, right. But I'm making the point, I'm trying to get people to get inside the head a little bit. He wasn't a psychopath. Uh, it wasn't that. It was actually logical. If, if, if what Muhammad said is true... And what he, what Allah says about Muhammad is true, then it actually there's a certain logical progression to that type of action. Okay, so what would be the logical connection? What 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 was he basing this commitment to Muhammad and to his honor um, off of? What what was he appeal? What would he appeal to? And in, in your well, in your interactions, I mean, obviously you got to sort of see some of this, but what would he? What would you say he was actually appealing to? The Quran and the accepted Hadith. Okay. And so accepted Hadith means uh, Hadith that in his view, the scholars that he prefers and trusts, the ones that they say have an accepted Isna chain, which basically means they're trustworthy sayings about the actions or deeds of Muhammad. And so they really become the narrative uh, focus because they are how you end up interpreting the words in the Quran because the Quran doesn't really have narrative. So the Hadith become the lens by which you interpret how commands are acted out in essence. Mm -hmm. So in the Hadith, Muhammad applauded, encouraged people who were killed for making fun of him. There's some example of some poets who did some satirical poems and songs about him. An old man and I believe a lady as well, they were killed. Uh, on Muhammad's hinting and a comment and uh, accolades uh, in a rather brutal way. Well, that's that's just how he rolled once he was in charge. And so, fortunately, Elton is still carrying that out, okay. that legacy. Okay. You guys want to jump in? Say something? Feel free? No? Okay. So um, what, what, let's let's start here. You've done a lot of interaction with, with Muslims. You've gone out to... Uh, their mosques, and you've you've been able to 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 dig into what they believe, their history, and everything else. If somebody wanted to reach them, um, what would you direct them to? I know our time is short with you, so um, what would you direct somebody to that says, "Okay, look, this is a serious issue. Look, we've got a lot of Muslims among us. We need to reach them. This this ought this ought to not cause us to want to move away from their community, not be a part of." evangelizing them so we want to do this now what should we go to um of course a, a strong handle on the content of the gospel of jesus christ but not just a strong handle on what it means to be saved 
by grace through faith alone, but also a demeanor that is consistent with that message. And so in our interactions with Muslims, they really need to see the fruit of the Spirit. Because remember, we're interacting with unbelievers. Yeah, they would call Christians infidels or kafir, unbelievers, but the thing is, they're actually unbelievers. They don't believe in the one true God, so these are unregenerate men and women. Right. They don't have the option of displaying the fruit of the Spirit because they don't have the Spirit. And so the Christians cannot be acting the same way. They have to be showing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control as they interact because there will be a great temptation to not have those things. So that's to me it's a key thing, not just the content, the doctrine of the Scripture, but actually the way it would ethically lead you to act because you really, really need to have that as you interact. And then there's some basic, you know, doctrinal things you'll want to, at the very least, brush up on uh, about Islam itself and some basic things. But I would just say that's first and foremost. Okay. Any particular books that are your favorites in in digging into Islam and what we need to to know about what they believe? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, James White, whatever Christian needs to know about the Quran is a, a really good introduction uh, to the Quran and some of the problems with it. Okay. And also, actually, James White, The Forgotten Trinity, because a Christian will really want to understand how the Trinitarian nature, uh, how to explain it how, and what's biblical about it and and why it's a doctrine they should hold to and indeed cherish. That's important. And those are two key things. There's some decent, I mean, Norman Geiser, actually, the book he has on answering Islam is actually a pretty good book I would recommend to people. Yes, it is good. And uh, any of the debates you can track down by David Wood, Nabil Qureshi, Sam Shamoon, and Anthony Rogers, those debates are just, any of their debates or anything they write at answering Islam are just phenomenal. Excellent. They're so good. Excellent. Man, I know you're busy today. I'm glad you got a chance to, to pop in with us. So thanks for uh, giving us your time, brother. Hey, I appreciate it. And um, this story will go away in a couple of days. You know, like, I'm not going to be on CNN. I understand that. But for the Christian, the Christian, this really ultimately, it's not merely the failure of, of Muhammad, meaning we see his sin manifested still in the 21st century in the sense that people are holding to his teachings. A lot of this is the failure of the church mm. be the missionary body it's been called to be in ages past in this in the arabian peninsula honestly the christianity there was anemic and tradition laden for the most part and a lot of the middle eastern activity we should have had that we didn't always have and now in the states christians want to talk about shooting muslims mm-hmm. a lot of times or how stupid or animalistic they are instead of getting to know them and saying let me love my neighbor as myself mm. and show them what it means to love god with all my heart mind and soul while that's i do big. it that's big mm. good man excellent man thanks <laughs> thanks for that elton used to go to church with his mom and dad and he told me it was weak sauce to him weak and sauce so He's yeah. So he had a he had a negative view because he viewed it as weak. And by what he told me about his church, he was right. So a lot of this is at our doorstep, I would say. Yeah. But thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Man, thanks, Vocab. Thanks, Love you, dude. That was awesome. All right, guys. Vocab Malone, Roosevelt Community Church. He is the host of the Urban the Durban Theologian Show. Yeah. Uh, old backpack radio joint. Um, 
So uh, there it is, guys. And I think one of the things I wanted to fill in here, um, I'm not an expert on what happened this weekend at Texas, but I, I want to talk about the theological um, and historical implications. When, when you look at, say, for example, Christianity and history, one of the things that you can see as failures um, in, in the lives of professing Christians, and so you have uh, times in history, you can point and put your finger on incidences where people who are professing Christians just blew it. And the amazing thing that I think needs to be highlighted about the biblical worldview is that you can point to where those professing believers actually fail to stand on their ultimate authority. In other words, what they actually produced, what they what they engaged in, was inconsistent with the, with what they said they were actually standing on. This is the ultimate standard. It's the objective source uh, that we appeal to. And these people who profess faith in Jesus were in violation of their most basic principles. And so you can point to it. You can say with honest, clean hands, that was that was that was wrong. That was evil. That was a failure of of a professing Christian in history. But the interesting thing here that I think needs to be highlighted is what Pastor Vocab pointed to, and that is that when you see um, in, our, in our current situation these types of things happening in um, the, a, Mus- a Muslim community, you, you can say, well, that, that's actually consistent. You're standing consistently on uh, the teachings of Islam, Muhammad's uh, life, the hadiths, and, uh, and all the rest. But, but this that gets us to an uh, even greater point that I'm really glad Vocab um, brought in, and I want you guys to talk about this with me, is um, one of the things that drives the American Christian, uh, it, the, the Christian in the West, is the, the media portrayal of Muslims, and, and we're basically laden with fear right. um, of Muslims. And, and I, I noticed this. We have a very, very heavy population of Muslims moving into the valley. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking very heavy. Um, Phoenix, central Phoenix, mm-hmm. and also Tempe, particularly Tempe. Mm-hmm. And I noticed something uh, as a consistent pattern in my own interactions. Um, I'll be standing next to a Muslim who's you know, wearing the whole, the whole outfit. I mean, just uh, several women. And there's no eye contact. And even if I try to be pleasant with them, they almost act like they're afraid of me in some sense. And I think that I, I've thought hard and long about this. I think a lot of that is driven by um, uh, the typical response that they get from those around them, uh, the way that they're treated as an outcast and things like that. And so I, I like what Vocab uh, filled in there. I think that one of the important things for us as Christians is to see the Muslims as a mission field mm-hmm. and not as a uh, war field, um, that, that these people are enemies and the only way to handle them is just uh, is by uh, engaging in warfare with them because that's basically what we do. We're at war in the Middle East. We're fighting people who, who are Muslims, and so they're our enemy. The only way to end this is by... Uh, a bullet, but th- that's not how the gospel advances. Mm. And 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 this is the last thing I'll say to this. It's specifically how Jesus tells us it's not going to advance, not by the sword. Mm. Um, it's going to advance through the gospel uh, of peace. And uh, do go you ahead. Think, do you think those old ladies are just afraid of your beard? <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. There's a lot of Muslims with del- del- delicious beards. It, it could be beardophobia. <laughs> I doubt that. <laughs> Muslims got the beard thing down. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they got it down. There's actually a name for that beardophobia, but I don't know what it is. Maybe if you wore more Yukon's beard, people oh. <laughs> wouldn't have beardophobia. It's possible. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe they've just had like bad experiences with stinky beards or itchy beards. <laughs> is there ever a bad experience with a beard? Yes, there is. I can take if that back. If you don't have yes, Yukon's beard, you're probably having a bad experience. <laughs> where can they get the beard Where right can here. they get this good experience? At Yukon'sbeard.com. Excellent. You know what I find interesting is um Vocab kept saying, you know, they're they're they were being consistent with the theology, and in the last um, 
15 minute the earlier one talking about um, what was his name again who um the guy who started the abortion ministry sean sean yeah sean has resulted his name already <laughs> yeah it's it's only short like term. 10 minutes it's only been 15 minutes i know short-term memory loss uh 24 hours but he his theology has led him to saving babies because of post-millennialism the kingdom growing and expanding on earth now in history he says you know he didn't believe that before now he says it's going to expand and the only way to do that is through hearts yeah. through regenerated hearts and then vocab yeah. explains to us that they were being consistent in islam right and their way was by force and not changing hearts i just find it very interesting that connection from both these two theology matters amen a lot of what you see on fox news is is the let's just blow them all up yeah for a nuclear bomb on the middle east right the war sort of driven mentality mm -hmm. that i had especially after 9 11 i wanted to go to war with everybody mm. and you know I, i'm from uh, uh norfolk virginia which is a very heavily militarized right. town there's every major base in the country virginia is not necessarily for lovers it's it's really not. It's for warmongers. <laughs> See what I did there? There you go. See but, what I did there? Yeah, and so after that, everybody was really driven towards going to war. We're going to go to war. We're going to go to war. Right. And and it, for for the most part, they're still that way. And that's just not the solution. It's the gospel. Oh, there you it's the gospel. Easy. All right. Hey, you know what's awesome? You know who's in the studio right now? Who? Joy Tembi is in the studio. What's up, Joy? Hey guys. Yeah, comeback queen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm no longer Joy the girl. I'm Joy She's the, the comeback, comeback Joy queen. <laughs> so what's up, girl? <laughs> Not a lot. I'm here. Yeah, yeah. She popped in. We're like, get get in here. Sit down. Have a seat. And talk into a microphone. This well lit and uh, ventilated room. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I feel a little bit left out for not. Vaping. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So, um, so what's been up with you, Joy? How are things? Oh, I wasn't supposed to mention that, huh? It's on the hush hush. <laughs> it's okay. Okay. Yeah, I thought this was our place. We're allowed to do what we want, we right? We can do what we want. We can technically burn it to the ground if we <laughs> wanted, right? <laughs> Which, <Whoa>. yes. <laughs> so, um, well, Joy, what do you think about uh, what we just discussed? Well, I. You were really pleased with that joke that you just made. So good job yeah, thank you. on that. <laughs> I thank um, you. <laughs> uh, beards are good. Yes. Good. Okay. <laughs> Those are my comments. Right on. What do you think? Hey, since you're here, tell everyone about our studio. Let it, let the girl explain what is in here. What's happening? The girl's of, perspective. There's lots of cords. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, that's true. Hey, what do you think of my trunk? That's that's an actual. Steamer trunk from 1890. It's an actual treasure chest. It's an actual with your mom inside of it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, well played. Well played. <laughs> yes. I can't even see Luke right now because That's there's intended. a pile of soundproofing pillows in yes. front of me. Yes. Just to try to dampen the noise. Um, I think you're ruining the mystique <laughs> of this place. Yeah. Just, just People throwing it out there. Sound like they described no, it. No, it is. It's like a magical kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> there's like um unicorns <laughs> right next Good. to me thank you <laughs> it's really magical place that's what i wanted to hear yep all right well uh, how are we doing on time <laughs> mr uh, Pittman? when have we ever really monitored that's the time okay 
So here's what we're going to do, guys. We're going to come back and uh, we're going to go through some really cool stuff from Dr. James White, uh, from Greg Bonson, just some stuff to equip us on um, the grace of God in salvation primarily and also how to argue with an atheist. You're going to get uh, Bonson busted and what do we call it, white whooping? White whooping. And you got yeah. music for that, right? I do. You do. Okay. All right, guys. So stay with us, guys. ApologiaRadio.com is where you get us and be right back. Hey, this is Drew from the Gotham Central Podcast. Tune into our show each week as Mike, Ross, and myself bring you all the latest news and reviews from your favorite DC Comics television show, Gotham. Listen in as three aspiring Reformed theologians discuss some of the best story arcs, comics, and movies in the Batman universe. You can check out the Gotham Central Podcast on iTunes, join our Facebook group called Gotham Central, and follow us on Twitter at Gotham underscore Central. We hope you tune in each week. Same bat time, same bat place. So, we thought we'd mention to you guys that we have plans with Apologia Studios. It's a great studio, by the way. It is. Sorry not, to interrupt you again. Not like uh, Joy described it as just sort of. <laughs> she described it as like this cloudy man cave. <laughs> Stuck together with it's duct tape. Just depressing. And unicorns. That's what the women have said have come in here. It looks like a man cave. No, yeah, when, no woman true. has ever yeah, liked that's what my wife our place. Said too. Looks like a man cave. Well, is that a problem? It is for <laughs> feminists. <laughs> so we're going to do some... Or maybe feminists like it looking like a man cave. Maybe. Good point. Interesting hmm. philosophical discussion. Joy, what do you think? Yes. A non-gendered... Uh, what do they call it? What are the different Z. words? A Z cave. <laughs> <laughs> a Z cave. <laughs> uh, all are welcome here. Um... So we're going to do some sketches, some smart, creative sketches laden with the biblical worldview and framework. And we're going to have open casting calls. Yes. So if you're local to the Phoenix Valley metro area. Or if you want to get on an airplane. Fly out. I don't think the pay will be worth it, though. No, <laughs> there will be none. <laughs> Initially. Yeah. I mean... I hope we get some good actors that want to work for free. Yes. <laughs> are, are we going to hire only reformed post-mill theonomic actors? <laughs> no, we are not. Yeah, that wouldn't be wise. That's, that's not a problem. <laughs> I don't know how little <laughs> there are. <laughs> Specifically. All right, guys, so we're back. We're going to do something right now, pull you into a discussion uh, about the grace of God. One of my favorite uh, clips of uh, Dr. White, uh, one of my heroes and a friend online, is um, his clip from his debate with, doc with uh, I almost said doctor, with George Bryson uh, at Calvary Chapel, I believe, Costa Mesa, I think is where they actually had this debate. And uh, it's just epic and amazing. And if you are just getting into the discussion of Reformed theology, Calvinism, the doctrines of grace, the real issue is the grace of God. I mean, that's the bottom line, the grace of God. And you start to get into discussions about the power of God and salvation. And you get into discussions about the deadness of men and women in sin. You get into discussions about what did Christ actually accomplish, if anything at all, ultimately on the cross. I mean, that's really where the discussion goes. And so that's, that's what it's all about. That's the purpose of the discussion is to really herald and really guard uh, the grace of God and salvation. That's what Calvinism is ultimately about. And I wanted to play you this portion, and we'll talk through it, of the closing statement of Dr. James White versus George Bryson. And here we go. 
It's Alpha and Omega's old school intro. The gospel of Calvinism, as it was just described, is not, well, maybe God doesn't love you. You see, the apostolic proclamation was repent and believe. It wasn't, this is what God has done for you. Maybe the problem here is that we're judging the gospel by our emotions and experiences rather than by the infallible, unchanging, inspired word of God. I've heard no response to John 6, Ephesians 1, Romans 8 and 9, 1 Timothy 2. I've heard no replies. I've heard no exegesis that says, no, it, it doesn't actually say that God elects unconditionally. All I've heard is, well, if we believe this, then we can't evangelize the way I evangelize. Maybe that tells us something. Maybe we need to stop proclaiming the gospel. What will you do with Jesus? And proclaim it the way the Bible presents it. What will Christ do with you? I think it's important uh, to discuss, I mean, the common way that the gospel is proclaimed in the, the, con the current context is uh, give Jesus a chance, give him a try. Um, I remember discussing uh, this with someone who's close to me, um, and they were talking about somebody who was an unbeliever in the family, and they were saying, I just, I just told them just to give, just give Jesus a chance. Just give him a chance. And if you think that, well, that's just some, that's some wackadoodle sort of situation. Person doesn't know what they're talking about. Mm. Well, you look at Fox News years ago uh, during, I think it was during Christmas time. I actually was watching it live when it happened when, um, uh, what's his name? Rick Warren. Rick Warren was saying, just give Jesus a, I think, 60-day trial or 90-day trial or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it was, uh, but that, that's how it's, it's actually you know, said. Just give him a chance. Let him into your heart as, as <laughs> if that language is even anywhere in the Bible. It's not. Isn't it amazing? I mean, this mm -hmm. is like Christian ease. It's our Christian ghetto language where we say things like, you know, let Jesus into your heart. Mm -hmm. um, Jesus loves you. He died for you. Yeah. And you just shotgun blast that to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. As, as if that were the gospel. Yeah. Um, and then they just keep going about their day going, cool. Jesus loves me. I'm going to keep doing what I'm, I'm doing. I'm good to go. Yeah. If Jesus loves me just the way that I am, then I'm good to go. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, Dr. White is emphasizing here in this closing statement of the debate, that, you know, the gospel uh, as it's proclaimed in the New Testament, look at the book of Acts, you see how it is. The call is to repentance and faith, to turn from sin to God, to trust in Christ for salvation and for forgiveness. And it really is, um, with an emphasis on who Jesus really is, uh, his nature, his person, um, his status as the ascended Lord, uh, uh, crucified and risen, and the call to repentance and faith. Mm. Your mm -hmm. comments. Sounds like he's one of those weirdos who believes in justification by faith. Mm, yes. <laughs> who, me? Because I do. <laughs> I do, too. <laughs> you do, Marcus? Yeah. I do, actually. Yeah. Are you serious? I really believe in justification by faith. Yeah. I didn't know that when we hired you. Oh, no. well, I'm glad you do now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, here we go. More with Dr. White. He is the sovereign king. And that picture of Jesus standing outside the noblest door from Revelation 3.20, knocking... First of all, Revelation 3.20 is about the church. And secondly, there was no knob on the outside of Lazarus' tomb either. That didn't stop Jesus. Preach. <laughs> I'm sorry, my friends, but I am tired of seeing Jesus presented as a weak beggar. 
He is a powerful Savior. And the gospel is not a suggestion. It is a command. You guys recognize that, right? That's from mm. our, uh, our old intro. Of That's where his bow tie explodes. That's where his bow tie. He's actually not wearing a bow tie here. Uh. Yeah, Dr. Missed White, opportunity. In my mind, that's where his bow tie explodes. Yeah. We were in Florida. Dr. White was giving me looks pretty much the entire weekend with my what I was wearing. Were you ripped, were you ripped jeans? You didn't like He those. said I had ripped jeans on. I didn't have any holes in my jeans. They were just scuffed. <laughs> <laughs> we need to present the gospel the way the apostles did. They turned the world upside down. For some reason, the world's turning the church upside down now. Maybe that's why. You know, the same text of the Bible that says John 3.16 also says this in Joshua 11.20. For it was the Lord's doing to harden the Hivites' hearts that they should come against Israel in battle and or they should be devoted to destruction and should receive no mercy but be destroyed just as the Lord commanded Moses. That same text of scripture, Isaiah 63, 17 says, O Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways and harden our heart so that we fear you not? That's the same inspired text that utters those words in John 3. I point out that the very same John wrote John chapter 6 and John chapter 10, but I'd like to address John chapter 3 for a moment. Because you see, so many of us have heard it repeated so often within a traditional context that sometimes we forget what the text actually says. Do you remember the two verses before that? There we're talking about Moses, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. The contrast with the world is that for Israel, you had the serpent lifted up and you needed to look at that serpent. And not all Israel did. And those who didn't perished. But you see, God shows a much greater love. It's not just for Israel. He shows a love for the whole world. In that he gives his son, but notice something. So many people just read this solely out of tradition. And they hear that phrase, whosoever, and go, see? No election. But many of you know that's not what John 3.16 says. It literally says, God gave his son so that... Everyone believing, every believing one, everyone believing in Christ would have eternal life. Does everyone do that? Have you ever noticed there's particularity in John 3.16? <laughs> that's so that's so awesome. Is that what you call getting whitewashed? That's white white whooped. Yeah, white white whooped. whooped. I, oh, yeah. I, I like whitewashed. He, he, whitewashed. Oh, we'll call, we'll call it whitewashed. That's good. I thought you liked white whooped. That's why I, I said like it. White white whooped. All right. Whoa 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 whoa. All right. So too many wolves going on. Hashtag dat exegesis though. <laughs> that's important. Um, John three is a. 316 is a promise to believers so mm -hmm. that every believing one would have mm -hmm. eternal life. That's a promise to you. If you are the believing one, if you are the one believing in Christ, trusting in him for salvation, you have eternal life. That's a promise to you. It's not a blanket promise to every person who's ever lived. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that's important. I mean, John 316 got to be one of the most abused verses 
on the discussion of uh, salvation, the election, oh, everything yeah. else. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of the, the chestnut verses of Arminianism and mm-hmm. uh, not Arminianism. Isn't it funny? You look Arminian. on when you see it into social media, someone will like attack Calvinism and they'll say, I'm yeah. not Arminian. Yeah. It's like, well, okay. <laughs> maybe you should study Are you that Dutch? <laughs> maybe you should. Yeah. What, what, what do you think the uh, percentage of those that hold John 316 signs up at sporting events are reformed? Mm. Mm. That's a good question. Uh, point. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna just say zero. <laughs> Justice is actually gonna guess. He's going. <laughs> um, I think uh, that'd be six point five. No, I start with a point. <laughs> a point. point two. I'm gonna say zero. Point zero two. Fine. All right. All right. Let's <laughs> so, um, those are all important important points to make, and um, you know, I'm gonna play a clip here from the actual discussion between. Uh, Dr. White and George Bryson, I think that uh, reveals a lot. And you need to listen to it. Uh, I think one of the most important texts in the discussion about the sovereignty of God and the salvation of sinners is the Lord Jesus in John chapter 6 and John chapter 10. When you look at those two passages, what I usually tell people when is that when you're getting into this discussion, some major passages, not a verse here or there you need to really dig into, but major passages you need to look at are John 6, John 10, Ephesians 1, Romans 9. Read the passages. Read what's before, what's after. Pick it apart. Look what Jesus says in John chapter 6 about his people. He says that um, he's come down from heaven not to do his will, but the will of the Father. And he says, this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given to me, I should lose none, but raise it up at the last day. So the will of God for Jesus is to lose none of all those who were given to him. So there are people given to Jesus by the Father that he says it's the Father's will not to lose. So how do you make that jive with an Arminian view of election? Because there are there are people clearly given to Jesus by the Father that he will not, will not lose. And you have to come to terms with what Jesus says there. And and I think one of the best things to do is to listen to it in discussion. This is George Bryson uh, in the cross-examination with Dr. White, and I'll put and jump right into it unless you guys have anything you want to say before I do. Jump in. Jump go in. for Okay, it. here we go. Mr. Bryson, I would like to ask you, in light of what I just said concerning John chapter 6, verse 44, all the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who, uh, I'm sorry, uh, no one is able to come to me unless the Father has sent me draws him, and I will raise him up the last day. Is it your position uh, that the one who's raised up at the last day in John 6:44 is different than the one who's drawn? It is my position that there are two things required. You must come to him, that's one, and to come to him, you must be drawn. It's my position that scripture clearly, John 6:44, and all of that context, so you're talking a lot about the need to look at things in context. If you take all of that in connection, there are two things that happen. One you have to see, and another you have to believe, if you go on earlier in uh, that very chapter. But the point here is that you cannot come, you are not able to come unless he draws you. But being able to come and actually coming to him in faith are not exactly the same thing. He enables you to come. And if you come to him and are drawn, and you can't come to him unless you're drawn, then he will raise you up. But he doesn't raise people up unless they come to him. But the ability to come, he gives. But making you able to come doesn't make you come. Okay. Um, Verse 44 says, No one could come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, 
and I will raise him up on the last day. Are you saying those two hymns are different people? No, I'm saying those two people there, that one person does two things. One, he comes to him, but he comes to him only because he is able to do so. Where, but because, where did you get that from verse 44, though? 44. Two things. No one can come to me. Come to me. Mm -hmm. that's, that's the one thing. The other thing he says is that that person who comes to him has to be enabled by the Father drawing him. No one can unless he's enabled. So he has to come to him, to him, to him, him and he has to be drawn. But if, if he is drawn and doesn't come to him, then in fact he will not be raised up at the last day. Just as so, it earlier says, he must see and believe. So there is. So you believe that, that the hymn, the two hymns here are different because you just said you can be drawn no. and not raised up. No. I'm capable as one person of doing more than one thing, and God is capable of doing something while I'm doing something. And what he does here is enable me to come. What I do is come. I come in faith. As a matter of fact, let me just say that even Calvin suggested that coming is a metaphor for believing. Now, there's a question about that, but where does the word enable appear in verse 44? Can come. And in fact, I remember in your book you point this out. No one is no one is able to come. That's, that's right. But but it does not say he is enabled. It says, unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. The drawing results in being raised. No, that up. is not what it says. It okay. says that no one can come to me. And almost all Calvinist commentaries say the can is enabling. It is not inevitable that you will come. It's an enabling. Could you, could you name one that that, that confuses ability with enablement? No, I, I, Ability and enablement because is the same. You, you mentioned my own book. I never said anything about enablement. Okay. I said enablement no man has the ability. No, ability and enablement, unless you have a different uh, definition. When somebody is able to, to do something, or if somebody's been unable to do something, they are now able to do it. Okay, you said that, that between these two hymns, you have to come. Who comes to Christ, according to John 6 37? Well, only those who are enabled come to him, and those that the Father has given to him. Okay. I didn't understand that. According, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't understand that. <laughs> you just conceded the position. Um, so let's uh, just take a pause right now to think through this. Uh, John 6, uh, um, uh, 44. This is a vitally important verse. No one can come to me, and literally as no one is able to come to me, unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's the point that Dr. White is making, is that there is no ability to come, and mm -hmm. so the Father must draw. So the Father draws, but the point is, is that it says, Jesus says, that he raises the him up, the Father draws. So no one has the ability to come to God. It's no, we don't want God, we don't desire God, we're spiritually dead, we're alienated from God, we know that's the context of the scriptures. Unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up. Jesus is promising to, raising up, to raise up the one the Father draws. And that goes, it dovetails uh, well, because it comes after John 6.37, all that the Father gives me will, will come to me. That's assurance. And so that's the context. And it's, I mean, I, this has got to be one of the most confusing mm -hmm. responses coming from Bryson. I mean, it's, it's, it's utterly... gobbledygook. Yeah. It sounds I mean, to me I, like Jesus is pretty confident in his ability and the drawing. Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, he says he will. He will. Not he might. They will. Mm -hmm. He will. They will come. He will raise them up. He will not fail. It's the Father's will. Oh, but some won't. They, they will all come, but then also I can choose not to come, so 
there's some that will come. So they I, won't. I, I'm so confused by what he's saying. <laughs> well, it's interesting because Arminianism has to acknowledge the mm. clear teaching of the scriptures that the Father has mm, to draw someone. Right. And yeah. so they always acknowledge it. Well, no, no, I, I agree, I agree, I agree yeah. that we're sinners and God has to draw. But <laughs> then you get to the point, okay, so when he draws, Jesus says that he raises that one up. Mm-hmm. So that was... But not unless they come. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so listen, what's the point here is that God's grace is mighty, powerful, and God is able to save perfectly. That's the point. Verse 37, all the Father gives me will come to me. Who, who is given by the Father to the Son? Those who believe. Not unbelievers, but believers. Would you agree with that? So God gives those that he foresees will believe to the Son? Well, of course he foresees everything, but I'm not saying he gives him the Son because he foresees. The, the fact that God... God enables people to do something, but they still must do it. He enables us to believe, but we still must believe. Didn't you just say that coming is a metaphor for believing? Exactly. And is it? By the way, <laughs> you can't see the video right now. You can't see the video right now. And I don't. I don't mean this to mock the man, but it's important. We we're talking about nervousness and nervous ticks and things like that. Uh, he, he's, he's, drinking, he's drinking a lot of water. <laughs> mm. <laughs> he's, drinking a, he's drinking a lot of water. The nervous sip. It's, it's a lot of water. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, everyone does that. I guess when you're nervous or, you know, you're you know frustrated or whatever. But he's drinking a lot of water. <laughs> we should do like a skit on this where he's just like covered in sweat. He's just, he's, he's just got buckets. He's pouring down his throat because, I mean, it's a lot of water. The giving of the Father here, what results in their coming to Christ? No, that is not... Coming to Christ is putting your faith in Him. I understand that, but, but just on a simple grammatical level, which action in verse 37 comes first? The giving of the Father to the Son or the coming to Christ? Well, I don't think there is a chronological order. I think there's two things that are true. Only yes, there is. <laughs> yes, there is. How do you... This is one of the things we use, you see. Look, we've got traditions. Mm -hmm. We've all got them. Yeah. Okay. And, and saying you don't have them means that you're not looking. And mm -hmm. we just got them. Granted, um, we do. Uh, and this is where the danger is, is when you will be someone who loves Christ. Uh, George Bryson loves Jesus. He's trust, mm -hmm. He trusts in Christ for yeah. salvation. Okay, so there you go. So he's a brother in Christ. But the fact that you can say there's not a chronological order when the text right. Right. says <laughs> all that the Father has given to me, if something was given to mm. Jesus, <laughs> and that was a that was a point in time, right? Yeah. And then they they will come after what? After they've been given, there's a chronological order. So I don't well, think there's a chronological and order. And they were given before the foundations of the world. That's exactly right. It makes me think of you know in the beginning, God created an ark. There's no order. There's the other things happen at other times. Then there, there's light at some other point in time, and then He sets the Israelites free. And then he makes animals. There's no chronological order. Of course there is. In anything. Of I, course there is. Only those, only those that the Father gives to the Son come to the Father. But only those who believe does the Father give to the Son. Now, the other choice, the other option is to say that he gives unbelievers to the Son. And if you want to say that, I'm, I'm happy with that. Uh, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm just uh, you, you don't believe that there is any... A, lot, a temporal priority here between the Father giving and people coming. All the Father gives will come to me. That's right. All that I give ten dollars to will buy books at Stand to Reason. No. Which what? action comes first? Well, what I'm saying here, and I think it speaks for itself, <laughs> that those who He enables to come do come. Those who believe in Him, He gives to the Son. If 
you want to say the opposite, that he gives unbelievers to the Son, you can say it. But all the questioning on this isn't going to change that. Uh, you had said earlier that the Calvinist position is, is that Christ's blood is worthless to all but the elect. I'm saying that's the Calvinist position, yes. I'm saying that's Calvinist position. I, oh, except in a common, perhaps some side benefits. That's what I've heard Calvinists say. Is it not uh, your understanding that, in, in fact, the Reformed position is that it was Christ's intention to redeem his people upon the cross? That's right, which would be the equivalent of what I've said. Except that the idea of, well, that, that would be a response. So it is your idea that uh, worthlessness uh, follows from a lack of intention of saving someone? No, it's totally separate issues here. Worthlessness is a relative issue in this context because if, if Christ died for me, there's value, there's value to me in his death. If he did not die for me, there is no value to me in his death. What value is there in the death of Christ on behalf of every person who will end up in hell? The value is intrinsic to his death. <laughs> very, that's a very important thing. We don't think a lot about that. And, and, and when you think through the issues of the doctrines of grace and the intention of Christ to save, we think about the issue of limited atonement, or I would, like to, I would prefer to say definite redemption. Um, that's, that's the issue, is that the death of Christ um, is intentional. It, it, it actually accomplishes something. So when a, a Reformed person or a Calvinist looks back at the cross, they can say, well, Jesus on that cross died for me. All my sins are paid in full on that cross, and he accomplished my redemption. Now, obviously, God applies that redemption in our lives when he you know, opens our eyes to see Jesus. The gospel is proclaimed to us, and we turn and we trust in, in faith um, uh, to, to Christ. But, but the point is, is that we would say that the atonement of Jesus was not wasted at all. Right. Uh, it accomplished mm -hmm. something. So it wasn't potential uh, atonement. It was actual atonement, definite redemption. So when you sing in church, Jesus died for me on that cross. He paid my sins in full. That's straight up Calvinism, mm -hmm. hundred proof, baby. Glory. That's what that is. Colossians 2.14, he erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. Mm. It's all past tense. He erased the certificate of debt and nailed it to the cross. Yeah, and if you think about that in terms of uh, the discussion about whether or not Jesus died for the sins of every single person who's ever lived, yeah. if Jesus did die for the sins of every, every single person who has ever lived, then that means that uh, universalism is the natural right. um, mm -hmm. the natural outcome of that. Because why? Well, their sins have been paid for, and God would be unjust to punish somebody for eternity in hell, separated from him, for whom Jesus died. Right. He, yeah. he paid for their sins. And if somebody says, well, no, but see, here's the thing. He paid for their sins, but they they don't believe. And then you have to ask the question that John Owen asked. And I think it's an mm. important one because it's thoroughly biblical. And that is this is unbelief a sin. Mm -hmm. The answer. Yes. 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 Unbelief is a sin. <laughs> well, Jesus died for that too. Remember he died for the sins of every person who's ever lived. Right. And that means mm -hmm. he died for the sin of unbelief, which means what universalism. And the truth is, mm -hmm. if you look at this from a just merely historical context and you look at what's happened when there have been churches in history, say in the last 300 years, even on our continent that have embraced the Arminian view, view of the atonement, 
It, there mm -hmm. has been a natural outworking towards universalism. Why? Mm -hmm. Because it's the logical conclusion. If Jesus died for the sins and paid for in full the sins of every person who's ever lived, then that means that their sins are paid for, and that means universalism. So the churches yeah. that have fallen into universalism oftentimes have fallen into it because of a warped unbiblical view, mm -hmm. a non-reformed, non-orthodox view, I would say, <laughs> of the atonement. So your comments, sirs and girls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that hits really home for me, too, personally in my family, Yeah, is the, the natural... What it leads to, how it, how Arminianism does lead to universalism. Mm -hmm. It's God loves everybody. Jesus died for everybody. Therefore, no hell. Everyone will be in heaven. I can do what I want. And and so I'm, I get a little more frustrated with that tidbit there because Scripture is plain that Jesus did not die for everyone. Otherwise, it'd be double jeopardy. He would have paid for some sins or the sins of all of one man or all men. And then the ones that go to hell are now paying for sins that Jesus already paid for, serving a double jeopardy, a, a double time for those sins. Yeah, I think the point is, if you're not catching what Dustin is saying, is that we recognize in our own court system that you can't try somebody in that way. That would be unjust. Right. Now, that's just, on a, that's just human justice, and ours is fallible. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yes. God's justice is perfect. And if God mm. has poured out on Christ... If Jesus is truly the propitiation for our sins, as Paul says mm. in Romans chapter 3, then he is the diversion of wrath, the full satisfaction of God's wrath in our place. And if true, it means that if anybody suffers in hell, separated from God, that means that they're paying rightly yeah. for, right. for their sins right. against the Holy God. For the wages of sin is, is death. death. That's they're right. They're getting exactly what they worked their whole lives for. And what they want. Yeah. So that's important, too. We think about people going to hell. Yeah. Nobody goes to hell um, kicking and screaming in the sense of, but God, <laughs> I really wanted you. Right. Mm -hmm. We all go to hell through perverse choice. We want mm -hmm. our sin. And Romans 1 is a full display of that. Though they know God, they suppress the truth of God and unrighteousness, and they exchange God for idols. Mm -hmm. That's the heart mm -hmm. of every person who's ever lived. Now, people yeah. don't always wear it on their sleeves. They're not walking around going, God hater, God hater, <laughs> enemy of God. We don't do that, right? Because yeah. of God's grace that we, mm -hmm. we don't do that but it's true spiritually speaking it's the truth yeah. apology radio guys .com. be right back this is jeff durbin with apologia radio get us at apologiaradio.com the profanation of marriage is gaining legs within our culture with the same-sex marriage debate this is church a gospel issue we have to be salt. We must be light on this issue of same-sex marriage. This is Joy Tembe with Apologia Radio. I urge you guys to pray for the homosexual community. Then log on to realharmony.org to equip yourselves with the resources we've provided. This is the Ministry Bearer. Here's the issue. The same-sex attracted community has a symbol that's universally recognized. It's an equal sign. You see it everywhere. Until now, the Christian community has not had a symbol that represents true, harmonious, biblical marriage. Go to realharmony.org and buy a sticker. They're three bucks a piece. Get your church to buy them by the truckloads. Help us redeem the culture. And let me reiterate, this is not a political issue only. This is a gospel issue. Realharmony.org. Hey, this is Drew from the Gotham Central Podcast. Tune into our show each week as Mike, Ross, and myself bring you all the latest news and reviews from your favorite DC Comics television show, Gotham. Listen in as three aspiring Reformed theologians discuss some of the best story arcs, comics, and movies in the Batman universe. 
You can check out the Gotham Central podcast on iTunes, join our Facebook group called Gotham Central, and follow us on Twitter at Gotham underscore Central. We hope you tune in each week. Same bat time, same bat place. That's from uh, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, isn't it? It is. Good job. (laughs) I rub my thumbs raw on that game. Yeah, those controllers were the worst. They were just the worst. Awful. I cheated and put in the codes. Did you? (laughs) I did. Wow. I remember. I don't think I had enough patience. I I had the game Genie. Yeah. Did you really? I did. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Oh, man. I think... Was it Butterbean? Was that the one big white guy? Yes. I could never get past him. I, I don't think I ever made it. Ever made it to Man, when you make Tyson. it all the way to Tyson and he would do that thing where he would scoop up over and over and over and over and over and you had to like get your guy to move side to side, side to side, side to side. At the right time where you got one punch from Tyson, you got knocked out. Yeah. Which Tyson mm. is really like that, man. That dude hits hard. Yeah. He's you one of the best from, boxers you ever You know that lived. from experience? No, i just watching his fights, man, growing up and... Did you see uh, the clip of him at the, I think it was the weigh-in for the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight, and there was some dude, like, some guy was, like, wasted, trying to, like, put his arm around Tyson, take his picture of him. Yeah, I saw that. And Tyson's, like, throwing elbows. Throwing elbow at him. Like, well, you, don't, you don't reach up behind Mike Tyson and put yeah. your arm around him if you don't know him. You probably don't uh, do that to anybody. No. You don't take his general tiger. Etiquette. Don't steal his tiger, either. Man, it's not in the Bible, <laughs> but, you know, it's general <laughs> etiquette kind of a thing. Seems a pretty decent thing to do. (laughs) Don't touch me. Don't touch me, bro. (laughs) Um, So, hey, we're going to talk about the fight in a moment here in uh, Pacquiao and uh, Mayweather. Uh, But before we do, we wanted to uh, do a little bit of uh, what you have uh, grown to love about uh, about us. And that's we're going to... And that's, uh, we're going to do some Bonson busting right now. This is the closing statement of Dr. Greg Bonson versus Gordon Stein. Dr. Gordon Stein. Uh, classic Big debate. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it on down to Bonsonville. Um, we need to get an official. that ha- We need to have that done official now. Well, I'm, I'm, I have an idea in my mind for a skit. Do you? Yeah. I'll bring we'll it on down song. to Bonsonville? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's coming, y'all. I can't. I can't share it though, because I don't want somebody to steal it. Okay. People do steal things. They do. I know. Yeah. Intellectual property. Well, that's a whole other debate. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I just threw it out there. Just cause. Okay. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Closing <laughs> statement. Greg Bonson. Um. He's uh, in an aquarium. <laughs> in a fish tank. Well, that explains the sound. <laughs> <Greg Okay>. <laughs> He's in a fish tank. As far as my rebuttal, or excuse me, my closing statement, I need to deal, I think, first of all, or perhaps in the entire time, uh, analyzing this remark that my statements have been tonight irrational. Well, perhaps they have, but if he's saying so, does it make it so? That, that's something we just heard as well. And so if my statements have been irrational, then we are going to need some standards of reasoning by which these statements have been shown to be irrational. Um, Dr. Stein has yet to explain to us in even the broadest, simplest Sunday school child manner that I told you about laws of logic, uh, laws of science, and laws of morality. He hasn't even begun to scratch the surface to tell us how in his worldview there can be laws of any sort. And if there can't be laws or standards in his worldview, 
then he can't worry about my irrationality, my alleged irrationality. The transcendental argument for the existence of God has not been answered by Dr. Stein. It's been debated, it's uh, been made fun of, but it hasn't been answered. And that's what we're here for, rational interchange. The transcendental argument says the proof of the Christian God is that without him you can't prove anything. Notice, the argument does not say that atheists don't prove things. The argument doesn't say that atheists don't use logic, science, or laws of morality. In fact, they do. The argument is that their worldview cannot account for what they are doing. Their so let's talk about that. So what... Uh Dr. Bonson is getting at there is that there is common ground between the Christian and the atheist. Common ground. It's common ground because it's God's ground. That's why it's common ground. And so when you have a discussion with an atheist, we're not saying that the atheists don't try to be logical, that they don't demand uh, others to be logical in their lives. They're not saying that atheists can be the, are, are the worst people in the world, that they don't have an ethic they live by. We're not saying that, that atheists don't do science and appeal to uniformity in nature. The point is, is that given their atheism, they cannot give an accounting of it. They have no warrant for it, no justification for it, nothing that satisfies the preconditions to make that intelligible, to make an appeal to those things intelligible. That's the point. And so when you discuss um, science, logic, ethics with an atheist, the point is, is what Dr. Oliphant points out in Covenantal Apologetics, is that all of humanity is in covenant with God. We're either linked to God covenantally through Adam, and all of us are in Adam, acting very much like descendants of Adam, uh, suppressing the truth of God in unrighteousness and displaying the spiritual death that God says is there and inherent. And so there's common ground because everybody you talk to is in covenant with God in one way or another. I mean, it really comes down to uh, you're either in Adam or in Jesus. That's the whole apologetic situation. Everybody that you come into contact with is either in Adam or in Jesus. They are in relationship with God. Uh, the common Christianese we hear, what do we hear everyone talking about all the time? What do they say? Is that you need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, the thing is, is we know what we mean when we say that. Like, we know what we're saying. We're saying that it's not religion, it's not works, righteousness. It's, it really is coming to be united to Christ by faith and right. knowing God, right? That we know, we know what we're getting at when we say you need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But the, here's the thing, though. Everybody already has a relationship with Jesus Christ. Right. Already. Just maybe not a good one. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Or they're covenantally <laughs> linked to, to him by way of uh, death, ultimately, or mm -hmm. life. And um, and so that's the common ground situation. Everybody you talk to knows God. There's the common ground of them as imago dei, in the image of God, behaving like an image bearer in God's world. God is, listen, covenantally active. He is imminent constantly with his creation. He is imminent, covenantally active. He's always working. There is common ground with the atheist. What, what Bonson is pointing out with Stein is that when Stein chastises Christians for being irrational, Bonson says, well, you're going to have to show me some standard that I've fallen short of of irrationality rather than just simply stipulate it. Mm -hmm. Simply say that um, you're irrational. Well, here's the point. So what? I mean, it's one of the greatest arguments against atheists when they challenge you on irrationality and everything else. Here's, here's the great argument. So, right? You're an atheist. Try to stand in your atheism and make sense of that charge. At the beginning of Apologia Radio, you have the little clip between um, uh, Brett Strong, be strong, uh, militant uh, online atheist, and myself. And, um, and uh, one of the things that, that he brought up in the beginning of his discussion on the Unbelievable broadcast was that we're all just animals, we're just animals. And so when he calls me irrational, 
And he chastises me for that. I said, you're calling me a, ch- I'm a, like a chicken. You don't chastise chickens for being irrational. <laughs> it doesn't hurt. That's the point. It doesn't hurt. You, you're challenging me as a Christian on irrationality. Doesn't hurt Brett Strong or any other atheist, given your naturalistic, materialist worldview. If all that we are is just are just blobs of protoplasm in a purposeless universe, you can't chastise us in a meaningful way for being illogical, being irrational. It doesn't matter. And that's what Bonson is getting at. That's right. Did, yes. Did you know that I, I, I found some secret unreleased tape of Gordon Stein's response? Did you really? Mm-hmm. Would you like to hear it? I would love to hear okay. it. Okay. Here it is. I don't know why you always have to be judging me. Because I only believe in science. Because <laughs> <laughs> I only believe in science. Is that really him, huh? Yeah. It sounded like it. I yeah, heard like the a faucet. The audio was really good yeah. on that clip. <laughs> yeah, I heard, I heard a faucet. Maybe that's where the water it's is. It's hard to know. Well, it's because he was in an aquarium. Yes. It's hard to know what Bonson sounds like when he's not in an aquarium. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Their view is not consistent with what they are doing. In their worldview, there are no laws. There are no abstract entities. There are no universal things. There are no prescriptions. There's just the material universe, naturalistically explained in the way things happen to be. That's not law-like or universal, and therefore, the worldview doesn't account for logic, science, or morality. But atheists, of course, use logic, science, and morality. And in so doing, atheists give continual evidence of the fact that in their heart of hearts, they aren't atheists. In their heart of hearts, they know the God I'm talking about. This God made them, this God reveals himself continually to them through the natural order, through, the, through their conscience, and through the very, uh, their very use of reason. They know this God, and they suppress the truth about him. And, and there, let's end it there for today, um, there is the display of what presuppositional or covenantal apologetics is all about. Um, where else do you find in a Christian atheist debate that sort of a rigorous commitment to the truth of Scripture and the condition of the person that the Christian is talking to? Think about that. When you listen to a debate with, say, um, a classical apologetics uh, apologist, uh, uh, evidentialist, um, say like a William Lane Craig or someone like that, um, though these men love Christ and they turn to him in faith and they profess the same essential truths that all of us do, so praise God for them in, in, in that sense, they're brothers in Christ. L- listen, there, there has to be a discussion about the fact that in those debates there are, are at times even a skirting of the issue of the lordship of Christ and the deadness of man and sin and the need to repent and believe. Here, Bonson, at the end of his debate in his closing statement, is basically um, making his appeal, his ultimate appeal to the scriptures, and in the end displaying that Gordon Stein does know God, the problem is sin and suppression of truth. Right? Mm-hmm. That's right. That's the issue. And so when you yeah. think about, like, does, does the apologetic methodology count? Does it matter? Is it a meaningful discussion to have? Answer, yes. Just listen to the Gordon Stein-Greg Bonson debate. Listen to um, somebody that argues from, I think, a biblical or reformed apologetic position is philosophically consistent, and they can actually bring the gospel into the discussion at the end of the debate. Is there a documentary that would maybe help somebody understand this? Like, ah, there's something on the tip of my um, tongue. How to something. answer the fool? I think so. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 Oh, I think I've heard of that. It's an all right one. Yeah. It's, it's pretty, a pretty good. good. It's I okay. like it. I like it. Yeah. It's all right. It's in my bag right now. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Just Google it. Google that joint. All right. Um, so now uh, let's have a discussion about the fight. 
Did you guys watch it? I did. I didn't get a chance to watch it, and I was no. dying to see this fight for years. And, I, and my daughter's play was Saturday night, so I chose the I'm play. Just, you chose the play I over chose the my daughter over Pacquiao. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm just glad I didn't pay 90 bucks to watch Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> hey <-o>! <laughs> <laughs> So a lot of people dissatisfied. I, I did get to see that. This is the great benefit of social media. I, I got to see the fight, the, the whole fight, and just scrub through whatever I wanted, the entire thing, about two hours after the fight on pay-per-view for free on Facebook. Oh, nice. Someone uploaded it to Facebook. And I, just watched, I just watched what I wanted. I watched watch. the last three rounds. It was a snooze. Yeah, it wasn't very exciting. They got their money, though. It was though. disappointing. But here's the thing. <laughs> what, what an amazing businessman. Oh, yeah. All right? For sure. Excellent oh, businessman. Yeah. Utilized it the best that he that he could and and made a ton, a ton of money. You talking about Pacquiao or Mayweather? Well, both of them did, yeah. but Mayweather, in general, having <laughs> the promoter thing and all the rest. Oh yeah, fan, you know, just he made a ton of money. And they both did. I think it was like one hundred and thirty-five thousand dollars a second mm -hmm. for every second they were in the ring. Yeah, that's Whoa. that's a good. So payday. came out like three hundred million because he went twelve rounds. That's so a good payday split between them. It's all right. Oh, I'd be okay yeah. with that. Yeah, it's all right. We could do a lot at Apologia Studios with $135 million. Mm. If anybody would like to give that right now, we would be grateful. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'd, Pacquiao. I'd, is he, Pacquiao? I'd be a little bit that? excited. Pacquiao. Let's hit him up and see if he wants yeah. to participate. I actually tried to get him on the show, but I haven't got a response back from my email yet. So let's uh, play a clip. Did you really? Yes, I did. Because I'm Atta a producer, boy. and that's the stuff Atta I do. Boy. That's nice. See? That's why we hired we him. We got Marcus. All right, so we got a clip. Let's play a clip. Uh, let's listen to, I think this is Pacquiao at the uh, press conference, right? Way in, right? Well, we're going to do the press conference for which one? Uh, let's. Oh. Uh, let's. Do we? Do we? Ha I'll, I'll play mine. I'll play mine because I got you that one up here right okay, now. Okay, this is him on TBN actually. Okay, so this is uh, on TBN. Okay. With the Crouch. Okay, so with. Oh wow! Is is that guy actually Crouch? I don't know anything about. I th isn't that Crouch's son? It might be. It it, it actually may be. Even you're Christian, okay? Even so, Christian. um, let me get this set here. Uh, this is uh, let's see here. This is Pacquiao, and I think it is. Yeah, just TBN. Okay, here we go. Even you're a Christian, okay? Even you're a Christian. A lot of people are claiming they're Christian, okay? Yeah. They're Christian. But I have, an, uh, you know, I call them the real Christian. You know, I, I, I call myself the real Christian because okay. many people are claiming they are Christian, okay? Christian. They, they, claim, they are claiming that they believe God, right? They are claiming that they believe God. They prayed every day. They pray, they pray many times daily. But the truth, they don't really believe God. They just know God. You know why? Because if you believe God, you obey. But if you don't obey, how can you say, you claim, ah, I believe God, but you're not obedient. You don't obey. So, how so, so you, basically, you, you listen to this verse, you go, well, that's just true. That's right. Yeah. Right. Faith, Amen. Preach because, because as a result of living faith, uh, works are necessary follow-up that's what happens because your 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 faith is alive it's real because you are alive and so works follow that's right naturally so not did, bad did not you bad. did you notice i don't know if he did this intentionally but it's like you he, he plugged romans one did you catch that yeah it's like they know god but they don't believe god and i don't know if he did that he's on purpose, talking but. about true faith on tbn yeah <laughs> <laughs> true right. christian he's sitting by somebody who is a wolf mm, mm. and he's talking about hey man just because you say you're a Christian doesn't mean you're a Christian. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right, now let's listen a little more. When you say you believe God, that's the problem. People want salvation, but they're not doing the requirements of salvation. Now that's oh. what starts. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Yeah, that's what starts to get scary. Well, <laughs> to be fair, yeah. he's speaking about 
possibly, I don't know this for sure, but he's speaking about the requirements of someone who is saved in terms of their following the law post salvation, mm. right? Maybe. Cuz you I, said you said you you read a story how he uh, Yeah, he used to be Catholic. Okay. And now he's Protestant and there's an article, it's on Wikipedia and I think it's like Huffington Post or something where his mom is saying he's losing yeah, fights. He's losing fights because he's left the Catholic faith. Oh wow! And that's why he's losing. <laughs> well, we gotta get him on so we can we can we can, we can walk him through we can walk him through yeah. Romans. Well, and he has broken English too. So. Yeah, that's true. Well, I think when I heard that part, I was like, ah! But I think he kind of doesn't he kind of clarify in a little bit. He's gonna clarify. Yeah, it, he, I think. I think you. Yeah. All right. No Keep need going. to get the discernment bloggers riled up yet. Because that's dangerous to say. But let's let's see. Yeah. See, imagine different. If you want to get a license, driver's license, you have to provide a requirements to for driver's license. Yep. Now, if you if you want driver's license, can you get driver's license without providing uh, requirements? So if you want salvation, let's say, I can share this. If you want salvation, we have to do the requirements of, sal of salvation. What is oh. that? To become righteous in the sight of the Lord. Oh, that's, oh, that's dangerous. Yeah, that, maybe what I said wasn't exactly as right. <laughs> yeah. All right, discernment bloggers. <laughs> you you need the requ the requirements is you have to be righteous in yourself. So let's talk about it. Okay, so um, how what righteousness do any of us stand before God with? Not none. A, okay, so in ourselves none. But when rags. when we're reconciled to God, whose righteousness do we have? Christ. Christ. Christ's righteousness. So his perfect life and lawful obedience to the Father is what is imputed to us or credited credited to us because we stand in union with him. So because we're united with him in his death and resurrection, the Father sees us in union with his Son. So the righteousness of his Son is the righteousness that's been credited to us by faith. Yeah, he's still got some Catholic dust he's got to brush off his shoulder. Let's get him on the show. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's walk him through Romans. Right, Because right. I was, at the beginning it was all right. And I think one of the things that needs to be said often, and we talked about this last night in the podcast I was on, uh, that Post Mill podcast, the whole thing about you know, we're saved, but we're saved and we're uh, regenerated. And a, a life... After that is the life of God, um, where God transforms our life, and he causes us to love him, him. He causes us to observe his statutes, Ezekiel chapter 36. And so, uh, ooh, come on, Pacquiao. He's a good boxer. He is a good boxer. He's a great boxer. And he's Filipino. He's a good dancer, he too, is. apparently. Man, Filipinos, man, I don't know what it is about Filipinos, but they're good at what they do. Like, my, my master in martial arts, uh, his name is Master Francis Panita. He's like world-renowned martial arts coach, and he's one of the most famous coaches in martial arts. Um, he, was, he was my instructor. Killed me. He used to just destroy me. And afterwards, he would take me to family functions. And I'll tell you what, Filipinos know martial arts, and they know how to make some great set. And there were mm. Filipinos at the place mm -hmm. where I was watching the fight. So yeah. I got the whole experience. You got the adobo. Did you get the, did you get the white boy food? I don't, I, I didn't eat. Did they have fish heads? They had fish heads. I told you they were going to have fish you heads. You told me they, they were, and you did not lie. Well, here's what you got to understand. <laughs> at any Filipino function, and if we had any F Filipino listeners right now that you guys know, Pinoy Pride, Pinoy Pride, you know what I'm talking about. You guys have no idea what I'm talking about right now. Um, at a Filipino function, first of all, they're awesome. Their culture is awesome. They're very inviting. They love to feed you and to, and to make you feel like they're part of the family. And if you're Filipino and you meet somebody on the street, they immediately become your uncle, your aunt, or your yeah, cousin. Right. Im immediately. Right. Like, that's a very tight mm. culture. But they always have, at any Filipino function, they have, like, the real Filipino food, and then they have the table over here for the white people. Doritos. <laughs> Where it, it has, like, adobo, pancet, things like that. And that's the food that, like, you know, no we're, fish like, heads. we're okay with. And the other one is, like, the legit, like, hardcore Filipino food. Mm. So I used, to, I used to love it. But, yeah, man. So um, 
Cool stuff. All right, guys. That was this week's episode of Apologia Radio. New stuff's coming, guys. Apologia Studios is still underway. Pray for Marcus as he produces and gets ready with content. And Pray tries to get Palkiel on. That'd be cool. Yeah. And as we prepare the studio and, and just amp up and get ready to bring the good news to the world around us, Christ, God in the flesh, the Messiah, who came as promised in the scriptures, lived a righteous, obedient life of perfection, died for sinners, was buried and rose again. He has ascended and seated, y'all, and he mm. commands men everywhere to repent and to believe, to come to him for salvation and for forgiveness. That's the message, y'all. Tell it to someone you know. Go to ApologiaRadio.com. Give there towards the work and ministry of Apologia Church. Get the app at Google Play or the iTunes store. That's the bear over there. Peace out, y'all. She has a delicious beard. That's Justice. <laughs> Have a good one. He also has a delicious beard. And that's King Ginger <laughs> over there. <laughs> Is that what we're going with? No. Okay. All I'm right. just messing with you. All right. Julian. All right. Love you guys. Thank you for listening once again. We'll see you next week. Hi, this is Jeff Durbin with Apologia Radio. You can get us at ApologiaRadio.com. I'm also the pastor at Apologia Church in Tempe. You can get us at ApologiaChurch.com. want to invite you guys to join us for worship, the word, and fellowship on Sundays at 4 p.m. And that's Joy Tempe. Hey there. We are a family integrated church, so we invite you to bring your whole family to worship with us. This is Luke Pearson, the ministry bear, also discipleship pastor at Apologia Church. Like Jeff mentioned, we are now meeting at a new location and time, 4 p.m. on Sunday afternoons at Arizona Community Church. That's 9325 South Rural Road and Tempe. We're meeting in the community center, and that is between Warner and Ray off of Rural. Again, you can reach us on them internets at apologiachurch.com. Delicious beards are encouraged but not required. <laughs> Glory!